Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful you loved us enough to send your Son into this cruel world to die a painful death, rejected and scorned by men, that we might live with you in your home with peace and joy and beauty and happiness forever. We ask that you speak to our hearts this morning and help us, Father, to never be ashamed of you, to never deny who we are as your children, to live for you and to live openly and to live with faith and with the power of the Holy Spirit, to live with love and with consistency. Speak to us right now, Father, and do a work in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been looking at the 24 hours of Jesus' life leading up to the cross, and this morning we're focusing on that period of time in the middle of the night when he was on trial. He'd been arrested about midnight in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was initially taken to the home of Annas, who was the former high priest and father-in-law of the current high priest. And the story we're going to pick up in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 26, if you want to open your Bible there, is now it's getting closer to daylight. It's not daylight yet, but it's getting closer. It's still nighttime, early in the morning, and he's at the house of Caiaphas, and he's on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the religious council that had more authority than any other group in Judaism even during the time of Roman captivity. This was the group that made all the decisions about religion and could recommend to Pilate that someone be executed as a heretic. And so he's there before them at night being tried, and it's an illegal trial because it's happening at night, and according to their own law, no trial could happen during the night. It's illegal because no trial could happen during a festival, and this is taking place during the Jewish Passover. And so with that background, we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 57, where Matthew writes, they, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were gathered together. Seventy of them plus the high priest made up this Jewish court. But Peter, now notice this, Peter was following him at a distance. I just want to sound a warning to all of us as Christians. Whenever you begin following Jesus from a distance, you're headed for trouble. Peter wanted to stay close enough to Jesus to see him, but not so close to get burned. And when you live like that as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, you are headed for a fall. You're going to make bad choices. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up royally as a Christian. You can't follow Jesus from a distance. It doesn't work. you got to stay connected you got to stay close. And so Peter is following him from a distance, and he continues to tell us in verse 58, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, the high priest had this large house with a big room, and there was a courtyard in front of it. And so Peter's out there with the others, and he can see through the opening where Jesus is on trial. And he entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Verse 59, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. Needed a reason to justify their wanting to execute him. Verse 59, um, or verse 60 rather. They did not find any. Couldn't find witnesses who would agree their testimonies conflicted, etc. 
even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. What Jesus had actually said was a bold statement. He said, If you destroy, kill this temple, referring to himself. Not that he would do it, but if you kill me, he said, in three days, I'll build it back up. I'll rise from the dead. They misconstrued what he was saying as a way to get at him. And so they're making all of these accusations. And in verse 62, the high priest stood up and said to him, said to Jesus, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? Are you not going to say anything? In verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? We'll come back to this in a minute. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes. In the Old Testament, that was a sign of deep grief. In fact, the high priest was forbidden to ever tear his clothing because of what those vestments stood for unless someone was guilty of a high crime against God. And so he's saying, this guy's done something terrible. He's blasphemed, made himself equal with God, insulted God. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you've now heard the blasphemy from his own mouth. What do you think? And they answered, he deserves death. Then notice this. They spat on his face, beat him with their fist, and others slapped him. And they said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? When you put the story from the four Gospels together to get the full picture, here's the religious leaders of Judaism, not all of them, but some of them in that room that evening, who were so furious at Jesus they spit in his face. Now get that image in your mind. Just walking up and that, that, that's such insult. That's, it's, there's such hatred when you spit in somebody's face. And then they smacked him around. One of the other gospels tells us they put a blindfold on Jesus and they slapped him and said, why don't you prophesy Christ, Messiah, and tell us who hit you? Because if you're really the son of God, if you're really the Messiah, you know everything. And we can put this blindfold on you and we can just smack you and smack you and you know everybody that hit you. Who did it, Jesus? Who hit you that time? And so they spend time making sport, abusing him. And through all of it, he's quiet. Some of the literature from the Holocaust talks about how people would walk to their death in those gas chambers not saying a word. Sometimes when you face such hatred, people whose hearts are so hard, and cruel and mind so controlled by sin and ignorance and, and evil. Words don't matter. And there's a certain dignity in those moments in simply being quiet. Here are all these people making Numerous accusations against Jesus, accusing him of this, accusing him of that. And through all of that, he's quiet. 
until they ask him one question. He had to answer. The high priest said, I adjure you. Are you the Christ, the expected Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And when the high priest said, I adjure you, in their Hebrew culture, it's as though he is saying, I command you under oath of the living God, tell the truth. That's the reason the NIV Bible translates that phrase the way it does. You're under oath, a solemn oath before God. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And here's Jesus who's being quiet through everything until he's asked the one question that matters more than every question. Jesus, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And to that one question and that one question only, Jesus responded, Yes, I am. In Matthew's gospel, you said it. And you'll see me coming in the future seated at the right hand of power. The NIV translates it, the right hand of the, of the mighty one in, in the Greek of, the, of, of Matthew's gospel. It's the dunamis, it's the, the power, the great power. That's the reason Luke expands on it and says, seated at the right hand and coming in the power of God. Mark says Jesus spoke and said, I am the Christ and you'll see me coming in the power. And what really intrigues me is that through everything, Jesus was quiet, quiet. He was silent. He was silent against everything until they asked him, who are you? And that was the one thing he had to answer. He was not going to deny who he was. And sometimes in life, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid we get it just the opposite. We talk when Jesus was silent and when Jesus spoke, we're silent. Because we all have those moments in life when it's really tough. Those circumstances when the pressure's on, temptation is in front of us, someone's laughing at us, we don't want to stand out in the crowd, we don't want to be the minority, we don't want to be different. We all face those moments, whatever our age, we have those times. When the, when the choice is immediately in front of us and we, and we have to come to grips with it and we have to make a decision, are we going to identify ourselves as who we really are, followers of Jesus Christ? In that moment, Jesus said, this is who I am. In all the other moments, he was quiet. But in that moment, this is who I am. And brothers and sisters, when we face those moments, that's not the time to allow fear to make us cowards and become silent. Denying who we really are. Followers of Jesus Christ. See, in just a few verses later, starting at verse 69 and following, Peter is sitting out there in that courtyard following Jesus from a distance, close enough to see, but not close enough to get burned. And somebody looks at him and says, who are you? 
Aren't you one of his? Hey, I saw you with, you're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? And Peter cussed and said, no, I don't know the man. And in the very moment when Peter should have said, yes, this is who I am, and that moment, he did just the opposite. And let's be honest, there are moments when we do that. Jesus had a lot to say about owning who we are. About owning that we are followers of Christ. We are children of the living God. We, we, we are men and women who have been saved by the blood of Christ and we love Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, and mind. And, and, and he says there are moments that you've just got to take your stand. This is who I am. Look in Matthew chapter 5. I want us to look for just a moment at some of the things Jesus said about life and owning who we are in those moments in chapter 5 during the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. In verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, he's, he's not talking about people who are going through hard times because they've made really dumb choices. He's talking about people who are going through hard times because they are living for Christ and doing what is right. Blessed, happy are you. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus is saying, be willing to suffer. Don't deny who you are to avoid pain. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But he puts it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see. And brothers and sisters, he's not talking about just living a good life. It's letting your light shine. People know where the light comes from, that the light is Jesus. They know who you are. You are a follower of Christ. This uh, week I spent at North Myrtle Beach on a study retreat and go out to eat in the evening. And whether it's here in Rock Hill or elsewhere, if I'm by myself and I go out to eat quite often, I'll take a book with me uh, to read. And, and uh, intentionally, and it's, I'm very conscious of this. I do it on purpose. Intentionally, I'll, I'll uh, lay that book on the, the table and I'll have the cover up so they can see what I'm reading. And this particular evening, I was at California Dreaming at North Myrtle and I was reading a book from the, from the 1970s by Corey Tim Boom called uh, Tramp for the Lord. It's about her life after she was released from the Nazi concentration camp in World War II. The waitress noticed my book. And at one point she asked me about it. And so over the next hour that I stayed there, I was able to engage her in numerous conversations, learned a lot about her. She's an immigrant from Russia, speaks pretty good English, but she's wanting to learn more English and she loves to read. She likes to read novels and stories and so on. Learned a lot about her church background and spiritual background. And um, I'm never going to see her again unless God does something I don't expect, but 
we talked several times, and I was able to write down uh, on a card and give it to her the titles of three other books that would be good for her to read. I told her about them. Uh, because she likes to read stories, so these are Christian autobiographies. And in reading those books, she's going to hear the gospel. She's going to learn about Jesus. One of the ones that she was interested in, Corey Ten Boom's story I, I wrote down for her was The Hiding Place, which is a story of her experience during World War II in the concentration camps because of hiding Jews, devout Christian. You young people probably never heard of this book. Some of these old people in here may have. Uh, the, how many of you heard of The Cross and the Switchblade? Y'all haven't heard of that, have you? It's 1960s. You know, you weren't even a thought in your granddad's mind. <laughs> Look, you can get that on Amazon for about five bucks. Really good paperback. Cross and Switchblade, okay? But I, I wrote down s- several titles for her to read because they're Christian stories and they're testimonies of life change. And I want you to pray for her. I don't remember her name right now, but I want you to pray for her. She's, just remember, this Russian girl at the beach the preacher talked to, for God to use those books, she, she, she's going to read them. She loves to read. She's gonna, and God, I want God to speak to her heart. Don't, don't hide who you are. Be, be intentional. This is who I am. I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm not ashamed of that. Who are you, brothers and sisters? Who are you? They asked Jesus, who are you? And he answered, I'm the Christ. Yes. Uh, I, I'm going to come back on, on in, in power and glory. This is who I am, he said. Don't keep it a secret. Look in Matthew chapter 5 at verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. Also, when people hurt you because of the way you live, don't run from that by denying who you are. God's going to do something in your life. Look in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel at verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I think most of us, myself included, Get a little bit concerned if somebody's threatening to kill this physical body. I, I don't think I'd enjoy that. But Jesus is saying here, don't don't fear those who can kill the body, but after they kill you, there's no more they can do to you. They can't kill the soul, but rather fear, have reverence for him who's able to destroy both your body and soul in hell. See, people can hurt you in this life. They can't touch you beyond this life. God can touch you in this life and in the next life. Keep the big picture in mind, Jesus is saying. Camille was a, he's a 29-year-old Christian leader in his local church in, in Turkey. And one Sunday after worship, on his way home, he, he was attacked by five young Muslim men who began beating him and demanding that he deny, deny Jesus and return to Islam. He refused. And every time they would hit him, he would say, Jesus is Lord. They kept hitting him. He kept saying, Jesus is Lord. They pulled out a knife and threatened to kill him. And he, and he said, Jesus is Lord. And they, they beat him and they beat him and left him unconscious in the street. Later, when he was sharing his testimony, Camille said, I'm praising God. Not because he saved me from death, listen to this, but because he helped me not to deny him in the shadow of death. 
Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone, Jesus said, who confesses, acknowledges me before men, I will also confess, acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Mark 8 on the screen and in your notes. And Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. And I put that there because I want you to see that second phrase. Not only ashamed of Jesus, but of his words. What Jesus said, the gospel, the scripture. See, there's a lot of people and a lot of groups in today's culture that want to separate Jesus from what Jesus said because they like the idea, quotation marks, of Jesus. They just don't want anything Jesus said. The problem is you can't have him without what he said. Because if you try to have Jesus without what he said, you have nothing but a myth, nothing but a figment of your own imagination. And Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of my words of what I said, no matter the circumstances. Now, brothers and sisters, there's some, some takeaways, some lessons for us in all of this. And one is what I've said every Sunday in this series, that staying true to who we are is a choice. Just like staying, you know, submitting to the will and the lordship of Jesus is a choice. Obeying the scripture is a choice. Listen, brothers and sisters, staying true to who we are as followers of Christ is always a choice. When, when faced with that choice of who are you, do we remain silent or are we very clear, this is who I am? Another lesson for us is that that we need to settle the question once and for all of who we are. Are we a follower of Christ or not? Who am I? Who are you? Jesus knew who he was, where he was from, what his purpose was, what his mission was. He knew who he was. I'd imagine most... How many of you all know... How many of you know who Willie Nelson is? You all know Willie Nelson, right? You know, singer Willie Nelson? Can you all imagine Willie Nelson teaching Sunday school in a small Baptist church? I know it's crazy, isn't it? But back in the 50s when Willie Nelson was a young man, he taught Sunday school in a small Baptist church in Texas. But he also at the same time loved to drink, cuss, and do other stuff. So one day the preacher called him into his office and said, Willie, you've got to make a choice. You either have to quit drinking and all this other stuff, or you got to quit teaching Sunday school. Willie said, you're nuts. We know what choice Willie Nelson made. He later, he later said, I had to choose between satisfying the congregation, including the hypocrites. He didn't get that it wasn't the congregation. It was God that was at work here. Or siding with a musician who drank, smoked, cussed, and hold the things I won't read here. He said, I decided to stay with the beer joints, and I quit the Baptist church. You know what Willie did? He said, this is who I am. And he made the wrong choice, but he said, this is who I am, and he'll live for eternity with the consequences. So different than... Recently in China, when 
police officials broke into a church and in one room found about 30 little kids in Sunday school and they rushed them all out of the building and put them on a bus to take them to the police station. And here's all these little kids separated from their parents in this communist country being taken by the police, scared to death, and one little boy starts singing a Christian song. And then they all start singing. And they get to the police station, take them in for interrogation, and they're still singing, and the police are saying to them, unless you do what we tell you, we're not going to let your parents get you. You're, going, you're, you're not going home. Your parents can't have you. You need to write on these pieces of paper 100 times, I do not believe in Jesus. 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 And you cannot go home until you do. Those little kids kept singing and started writing. And what they wrote was, I believe in Jesus today. I will believe in Jesus tomorrow. I will believe in Jesus forever. Who are you, church people? Who are you, child of God? Who are you, older person and younger person? Who are you today? Are you a follower of Christ or are you not? Who are you? They looked at Jesus and said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And he was silent until they asked that question. And he said, yes, that's who I am. I'm not denying who I am. Are you going, dear child of God, to deny who you are? You see, defining ourselves as followers of Christ prevents other people from defining who we are. Because if you and I won't say, this is me, this is who I am, I promise you there are all kinds of people in this world who will define you. They'll put their stamp upon you. They'll tell you who you are. If you don't say, this is me, this is who I am, I'm a Christ follower, I promise you your friends, I promise you your co-workers, I promise you your relatives, I promise you your neighbors, they will mark you, they will define you, unless you do it for yourself. Denying who we really are makes us a liar. In John's gospel, Jesus said, I know the Father. You say you do, but you don't, and you're liars. I know him. But if I say I don't know him, then I'm a liar just like you. Jesus said, I'm not going to lie about any of this. I know who I am. When you and I deny our true identity as Christ's followers, we become liars. It's one of the reasons... You feel so icky on the inside when you do it. It's one of the reasons you feel so guilty. Because not only have you denied Jesus, you're a liar if you're his child. And you deny it. You and I have to, through faith, Look beyond this present moment and see the future. Whatever that moment is when you're under pressure, when you're under duress, when you're facing temptation and pushback, when someone's laughing at you or there's risk, when it's hard, don't don't 
see just that moment. Look beyond. Jesus, when was asked, are you the Christ, said, yes, I am. But he looked beyond the moment because he knew if he answered truthfully, they would execute him. But he looked beyond that moment. He looked beyond what was going to happen the next day. And he said, there's a day coming beyond this moment. It's a future moment. When you will see me, the same ones of you that are spitting on me now, the same ones of you that are laughing at me now, the same ones of you that are beating me now, there's a day, not today, but in the future, when you will see me coming in the glory and the power of the Father. See beyond the now. See beyond that friend who doesn't get you. See beyond that co-worker who doesn't understand you. See beyond this moment and see the future because the decision you make in that moment is going to have influence in your life and the lives of those who see you, sometimes more than you realize. Herschel, Herschel grew up in Germany. He came from a long line of Jewish rabbis. He was the first boy in the family that didn't become a rabbi. He became a successful lawyer instead. And at one point in life, to improve his career and to get out from under some of the oppression that Jews suffered in Germany at that time, he abandoned Judaism and joined the Lutheran church. It wasn't a genuine conversion. It was one of convenience. Without realizing that he was radically changing the future direction of his family. Not only did he become a Lutheran, he changed his name from Herschel, his Jewish name, and adopted the German name Heinrich. He had a little boy that he named Carl. Karl Marx, the father of communism that has brought so much suffering to so many millions on this planet. The choices we make of owning who we are or pretending to be, denying to be, whatever, is like throwing the rock in the proverbial pond and there are ripples. There's always ripples for bad or good, but there's always ripples. You may have seen it in the news, but last Sunday in Pakistan, two Islamic suicide bombers set off bombs at two Christian churches. Last Sunday, 17 people were killed and 78 were wounded. And in my mind, I imagined it this way. One moment they're standing in Pakistan singing praises to Jesus and the next they're standing in heaven singing praises to Jesus. But if all you see is Pakistan, if all you see is the bomb, if all you see is the slaughter, if all you see is the evil, if all you see is that moment, you're not looking with faith. 
You're not seeing everything Scripture reveals. You're not looking at everything God wants you to see because there's a future. It's not just this moment. There's an eternity. There's a heaven. It's not just that spot on earth. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you again, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Own it. Own it. Own it. No matter what. Own it. And Jesus will smile on you. Because he's not ashamed of you. And he owns you. Let's stand. Father, you have been speaking to us. And I pray right now that you will give us the boldness to obey everything you are asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. When we sing this song, many of you are are needing to to come to this altar and just, just kneel and love Jesus for a moment. And let's be honest, some of us, need to confess that, Jesus, I haven't owned who I am. I've denied it too much. I've been embarrassed. I've been intimidated into silence. Forgive me. Forgive me. And you know what? He will. He will forgive you. He loves you that much. Come and... Pray that He fills you with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to give you a boldness, a power to make you aware of His presence. Some of you need to join this church. Some of you need to give your life to Christ and become Christians. And Jesus died very publicly on that cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin. And He's inviting you publicly to come and say, I'm taking my stand for Jesus. And I'm, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Jamie and I are waiting for you here at the front. Counselors are ready to talk with you, ready to help you. So let's sing together. Come and pray. Come and make your decisions for Christ right now. Come on, quickly.